Welcome to V is for Victory, a podcast about how small businesses overcome big battles. I'm your host, Jill Miller of Vera Creative, a boutique marketing firm in the Chicagoland area where I'm also a part-time professor of an advertising course. Join me as I talk with entrepreneurs about the challenges they face as well as their strategies for success. excited to bring you this episode with Scott Reeb, America's legal coach. Uh, before we dive in, I just want to say we did get cut off, of course, as luck would have it, my internet um, just cut me off and we never got to reconnect. But I know that um, Scott was super grateful to come on the show and I truly appreciated him sharing his knowledge a lot of times I get questions when I'm working with a company who's just starting or somebody who's working on their branding. And they ask me, you know, do I need to establish an LLC? What about a sole proprietorship? Do I really need to trademark? And in this episode, Scott really sheds light on um, the importance of these things and provides a lot of clarity and provides a really sweet offer for listeners. Um, so make sure that you check out the link in the episode notes. And without further ado, I present to you episode 72. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Vias for Victory. Today, I'm here with Scott Reeb. He is America's legal coach. Scott, welcome to the show. Hey, Jill. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So how'd you get that title? I love it. <laughs> you know, uh, it came about about 10 years ago, I guess, when I started working um, with the Ziegler company uh, and speaking on their stages. And it just, I, I don't know who came up with it. It just kind of stuck. It just stuck. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that's that's better than some nicknames, right? It could definitely be worse. <laughs> and, awesome. and if it's what I do, so. So, I mean, the legalities of business is something that's probably really complex. I'm sure you get a lot of questions a lot of times. I think my first question is, what kind of law did you study? Like, are you a contract lawyer? Are you a business lawyer? Like, how do you define and classify your area, your specialty um, in terms in, in, in the legal field? Yeah, it's a great question. And so, yeah, in law school, you kind of study everything. Um, and when I came out, I wanted to be a litigator. And mm -hmm. so I did. Um, I worked for several litigation firms, um, litigated about everything you could, could want to from big, big contracts, intellectual property, real estate, probate matters, uh, land, you know, just about everything. And in 2012, I kind of, started to, to shift. Um, I had, I'd, I'd worked a lot with small business owners and really enjoyed it uh, early on in my career and really had kind of focused in on doing litigation for them and enjoyed it, but I had a problem. And the problem was that they would go make mistakes without calling me. They would Google dial a friend, uh, do anything, but call me. And then they'd, they'd come back and say, okay, this is really, this has gone really bad. Can you help me get out of this trouble? And I'd say yes, and then we'd they'd spend way more money than they ever wanted to spend. We'd win, and they would they would go away a little bit unhappy because a win in civil court office often means you just didn't have to pay someone else money, but you still paid your lawyers. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I I had to resolve that. I had to figure out how to st solve this problem, and it kind of came down to the way we build clients. Lawyers traditionally build clients by the hour, and so that really comes down to six-minute increments. So every phone call, email, any contact they would have with their lawyer, they would get billed. And so they would they had this aversion to contacting me because I was 
billing them. Costly, yeah. To ask me questions. And so it made sense to me. So what I did, I had started hearing about business coaches. Uh, and I thought, well, maybe I, I could hire a business coach to help me build a system where small business owners, entrepreneurs could have an on-demand access subscription to me and my law firm to ask questions just as they as questions come up in their business, they can just ask all the questions they want and not worry about getting billed for it. And so I went through a couple of coaches explaining my vision and finally found one that got it. And they're like, we can help you do that. And so we built what became the access plan. And now 90% of what we do is work with small business owners on that subscription model, just making sure that they have good access to information. We review other contracts, we write their contracts. They can ask us any crazy question they want, and it's covered in their fee, their monthly fee. And now we have this continuing conversation and relationship with our clients to help them avoid those big problems. And uh, it's, you know, it really changed everything for me. I love when somebody can see a need and solve the problem. And why not? I mean, why not have this in the legal field? I mean, you're doing your clients a favor, you're doing due diligence. And uh, even as a marketer, um, when I work with small businesses, the thing that I see the most is very similar to what you were seeing is people cut corners. They're not mm -hmm. calling you because they're cutting corners. Um, yep. When they start their business, they don't want to hire a professional to do their website or their logo or their branding because they're cutting corners. So they're hiring their sister's friends, neighbor's brother's cousin, you know, mm -hmm. um, something like that. Or doing and, it themselves on Canva. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and there's no strategy and there's no, you know, deeper knowledge. I'm kind of working with a client right now who like, you know, wanted to go in and work on her own website and didn't understand why I had white space on it and wanted every color splash or every part of the, you know, website splashed with color. And I was kind of saying like, well, there's things that I know that you don't actually, uh -huh. you know, there's when I'm designing, I'm keeping these things in mind, these eye tracking patterns that people need visual breaks and things like that, you know, and, and so it's just kind of interesting like you said, they want to do it, do it alone. And, and, you know, the internet doesn't help. Right. I mean, I have clients that have Googled contracts and clients come to me all the time and they're like, well, will you look at this? And I'm like, no, you know, I, I, I can look <laughs> at it and I can make it sound pretty, but I can't make it legally binding. Right? right. Um, and that's the biggest question that I get from my clients is, you know, do I need to LLC and do I need to trademark? What do you, what do you say about those yes. two things? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you, the first thing you need is an LLC. And as soon as you get that and the state says, yes, you can have that name, then you need to find out, can you, can you own that brand nationally? And the way you do that, you file an application with the United States Patent and Trademark Office. And about a year later, you find out whether you can own it or not. And so if you prolong that, if you wait longer, uh, you could build your business and brand on someone else's. And then you get this really friendly letter in the mail that says you have 30 days to uh, remove all of the references to that name from every piece of marketing and rebrand. Uh, Cease and, and desist. You know what? I had yeah. a client. I had a client. Funny story. Who got one of those letters and she was a lawyer. <laughs> Her main job was a lawyer and uh, mm -hmm. she's like, I should have known better. So she didn't exactly freak out when she got that letter because she knew exactly what it was and what she needed to do. Yeah. But yeah, that's kind of funny. Yeah. Um, but if you file that application 10 years into your business and find out that you can't have it, 
then that means you've been infringing someone else's trademark. And if they figure it out and come after you, you could owe them a lot of money besides what you have to spend to rebrand and pay, you know, marketing pros like you to do all the new logo design, all the color design, give you a whole new brand guide, new website, all that stuff. Um, and then just the loss of traction. Yeah. It's very costly. So, so early on, you need to get that liability protection with the LLC, at least one. And then you need to, um, get that name, the name protected. And then once you've got the name, then you can expand and you might want to trademark the logo. But my experience in the last 26 years is that we, don't we we tweak our logos a lot the first few years mm-hmm. we it takes a little while to get to exactly what you want and so i always recommend let's wait a little bit on that till you're sure that's what you're going to go with long term you know long term be 5 10 years and then uh then do that and then you may have some sub brands that you need to also trademark but the first thing is get that that overarching brand protected so you own it and man that's a those, great question those business coaches <laughs> They like to sub brand. Holy smokes. They like to have yes. <laughs> uh, logos and programs with, with different logos and programs with different names. You'd probably rake it in on those people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, we love business coaches. Sorry, oh, yeah. I've got one we're doing 10, 10 right now for. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and then the marketer in me is cringing because I'm like, oh no, you got to get that all under one umbrella. <laughs> oh man. So um, in terms of contracts, then what is your advice? Um, I I know like a lot of people like, does, does a coach need a contract? Does, do I need something? Cause I've always felt like I'm, I'm not the type of marketer that's going to be like, you're going to 10 X your business in four months from working with me. Like, I don't want to make that promise because right. it's like, okay, there's so many factors that go into how somebody runs their business and whether or not they're going to be successful that exist beyond what I'm doing for them. So in my contracts, I feel like I have to be very vague. And my contract was written by a lawyer, um, but mostly just the beginning part of it. Like, I don't mm-hmm. even know. I can't even think of what it says, but there's some legal jargon in there. <laughs> sure. But so in terms of contracts, like I have a I have a client who, um, she runs a CrossFit gym, right? Mm-hmm. So people in the gym industry and in the fitness industry, I would yep. think that those contracts yep. need to be fairly ironclad in terms of injuries that do happen. Releases. Um, yeah, yeah. So is that something you guys work a lot of, a lot with like liability and we have a lot of fitness. We have a lot of business coaches, fitness coaches. Um, and yeah, they, so they have a lot of real, really uh tight legal documentation with legal mumbo jumbo that we don't really like, but you kind of have to have it in those yeah. businesses. Um, but it's real important and you, you, you hit it really well. Like you can't guarantee results in your marketing business. Right. Um, you can guarantee some, but you can't guarantee a specific kind in a specific time. It's just not possible. And so you want to make sure you say that in your agreement that we cannot guarantee results. We do not guarantee results. Um, and it's like, it's as important to say in the contract, what you're not giving them sometimes yeah. as is what you're giving them. Yeah. Because there's this, there's this elephant in the room that no one's talking about that what they, the goal for the contract is for them. They want something out of it. And the often the contracts don't really say what that is. Mm-hmm. They just give all this line items of things that are going to happen but it doesn't say what the ultimate result is. And so I, I think that's a really important part is making sure that the contract actually achieves the goal of the business owner 
and it shows the client that it achieves their goal, but it tells them very specifically what they're not going to get from you, what you're not going to do for them ever uh, so that they don't ask for it. Because eventually what happens if you don't get really specific um, is that there's a, a someone misremembers what was what was supposed to be included. And so you need to be able to go back to a contract together and say, let's go look, let's go through it together and just make sure it's not in there. Uh, and you go through it and then it's not in there. And now we're refreshing someone's memory instead of saying, hey, you're not telling the truth. Uh, you're, you're lying. Because once you go there, the relationship's over. And so you've got to not only have a written contract, but you need to have one that is clear and concise. Uh, it shouldn't be longer than necessary, but that <laughs> shows them what they're getting and that it will achieve their goals and how. And I think that's the, the kind of the, the barrier to entry um, with being specific in a contract is that it, it can get long and people are looking to close the deal, right? And yep. if you send over three, four pages, chances are that client, they are, they're either they're going to get overwhelmed by it and then they don't sign it or it's so long they don't take the time to read it and then they still don't know what they are and aren't getting, right? Yeah. Like I get that feedback all the time. Like my contracts are too long. I think it was like three or four pages. That's not that long. It's, you yeah. know, it's a cover letter. It's a little legal jargon and jargon. I've been people constantly want me to list my services and why I was smiling and saying, when you were talking about what you don't do, it's easier mm -hmm. for me to tell people what I don't do. <laughs> like, yep. And you right. And they might, it's like, they want to know exactly what I do. And it's like, but it's so different for every client. It's so complicated to try and explain, but I can tell you what I don't do. I don't do PR. I don't do coding. I don't do, um, SEO or SEM or anything with social media ads, really. I'll boost mm -hmm. a post here and there for a client. But in terms of, you know, really knowing the ins and outs of um, social media advertising, I don't stay up on it. So I don't do it. Um, so it's yep. much easier for me to tell people what I don't do. But everybody always wants to see a list of services. And it's like, then they yep. want to pick and choose what they get. And it's like, nope, because in marketing, there's too much crossover. So mm -hmm. you can't say like, Oh, I'm only going to write your newsletter. Cause now what are we going to do with that newsletter? We got to get it out. <laughs> we got to, you know, we got to share it on social media. We got to do all sorts of things mm -hmm. with it. So I'm not just going to only write your newsletter. Um, but going back to my original point is that I think there's a balance between not overwhelming the potential client when you're trying to close that deal and, and giving enough protection for both sides. What say you about that? Yeah, you want the contract to be fair. Um, that's one thing that we really talk to our clients about is that we're not trying to draft these gotcha documents that someone's going to sign and and then we've got them. The it's we're looking for clarity and understanding so that everyone knows what the deal is so that they can do what they're supposed to do. And the shorter the better, and the friendlier the better. Um, what we do a lot is we'll put together. Um, especially with like coaching clients and fitness clients, they have these packages. And so you put together the packages either in a sheet for each package or a sheet that covers the details of the packages. And you refer to that as a part of the contract, but it's not in the contract. So now the contract gets shorter and then you're, you're putting all your terms and conditions to what I'm not going to do in this short contract that refers to the sheet that you showed them when you sold, when you were selling them as you're walking them through what they're going to get. They've already seen that. So that's not new information. It's not overwhelming. And it makes it very easy to 
do deals uh, electronically, which is how most of us do it now. And so you're able to show them on your screen, here's the, here's the package that you're going to get. Now I'm sending you uh, our short agreement that shows you the terms and conditions of your deal. And they can click yes, or they can, you can use one of the signature packages and they can sign. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very quick. And truthfully, I don't care if they read it. Um, that's up to them. I want to be able to take them back through something that's clear that they can see what they agreed to, even if it's not what they, that they meant to do. You know, like I said, they, they don't really care about the details. Right. They want to know, will this achieve my goal? And so if you're selling properly, then you're asking questions and you're getting to that root. What is the problem they want solved? And this, you're showing them how this contract solves that problem. And if you do that, yeah. they really won't get stuck in the details. They'll sign the deal and you move on. And then hopefully we never have to even look at it again. But <laughs> if you do, uh, you've got something that's nice and concise and clear that you can go back and show them. Uh, it's also easy to update because you're referring to a schedule that so you can update the schedule whenever you need to. If your packages change, if you decide that your pricing is not right, uh, which we do from time to time, mm-hmm. because costs change, uh, or you just get smarter and you figure out that you can't <laughs> deliver it at a profit, yeah, at yeah. that price, right? So yeah, that's kind of my philosophy on it. I like that. What happens when a client stops paying on a contract? Do you guys get involved or? Yeah, we do. Um, we have. We create a, a, a set of letters uh, for each client so they can send start sending them out so that there's a system for that. And then there's a step where we get involved and send out the collection letter that's more um, more threatening. But, uh, yeah, it's important to have a system in place for accounts receivables if, you have, if you're going to have them. Um, and I recommend you get paid up front as much as possible. Um, I'd rather you be holding the money uh, than the client. It gives you much more leverage and you can always give it back if you need to. But I used to have a contra receivable and that kept me up at night. I, <laughs> I haven't had a contra receivable in, I don't know, over five years. And it's, uh, it's much better if you, if you get paid up front because we do package work, like we do estate and asset protection packages for clients. And that's a, you know, usually a large flat fee and we get it up front. Uh, years ago, I would get half. And then we would do the lion's share of the work and some people would just disappear yeah, and never pay the second half. Mm. And so we get it all up front and then we actually deliver timely what they want. You got to do that. You got to give them what they paid for. Uh, but if you can get that money up front, then you avoid some of that. But if not, if they don't pay, you need to have a system that's very clear for you, for you to send out or your team to send out so that you can try to increase your collections. And then I've, I have, uh, I have used in the old days and have some clients that use collection companies that will just harass the heck out of them. Um, Cause sometimes you need to, yeah. but it's, uh, it's just no fun. Yeah. I think there's something to be said for having a better strategy in place. So it doesn't have to go down that road. And it sounds like yeah. that's yet another problem that you solve for clients. I love that. Well, subscription, the subscription model, solves that for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, when, when we, we try to work with all our clients and helping them find some part of their business, at least that they can do that. And if you can convert your whole business to it, it, it just, the it, it creates some interesting problems of its own for sure. Um, but it solves that one. 
uh, you don't have a contraceivable anymore and you have steady, consistent cash flow, which allows you to forecast, uh, go oh. on vacation, have a life. Because yeah. um, I can remember in the old days where on the first day of the month, I'd show up and go, okay, how are we going to pay the bills this month? Yeah. And I had clients, but that meant I had to spend, I had to trade hours uh, for their money. And so I would have to figure out how I was get enough hours in and then hope they could pay the bills when we were done. So let me pick your brain a little bit. What is the average, say say bills are, or say payment is due on the first of the month. What mm-hmm. is there, like someone in my shoes as a marketing agent, um, if I bill them on the first of the month and they haven't paid by what date, how long is it fair to give them to pay? You know what I'm saying? Like, I, would, what's a- I would give them five days and they get a friendly reminder. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm faster because we, we do credit because everything's on credit card or debit cards. Um, and so occasionally when those auto run, they don't process, right? Someone's whatever is going on in their life or their, their cards changed. Um, yeah. And so we, we call that we start calling that day mm. friendly reminder. Hey, your payment didn't process. Hey, uh, so I'd say five days at the most friendly reminder at that point. And then at 15, uh, it's a, it's a, a collection letter 30, it's a little more stern letter. And at 45, your lawyers send in a letter. Mm. Yeah. I think I have, um, at 15, I stop all work. Like I won't continue working for yeah. the client. Right. And that's, that's one okay. of the things you put in the yeah. letter. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Lovely. Well, hey, I did something right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I also yeah. trademarked, but after um, eight years in business, Ooh, I want to say, see? yeah, because somebody, yeah. one of my friends mm. was like, there's a, so I'm Vera, V-I-R-A, creative, which means warrior in Sanskrit. And um, there's a Vera, V-E-R-A as the name, creative. And uh, it's a marketing firm. So we're in the same industry, which is another question mm. I should ask you. Um, and, uh, in, and they're in Chicago. So territorial wise, there mm. could be a potential battle. So I sneaky quiet trademarked <laughs> and I'm pretty sure I existed first, like looking at their websites, looking at when their social media accounts were established. Um, I'm pretty sure that I had V-I-R-A before V-E-R-A came into existence. But yeah, that was kind of fun. And, it was, you know, mm. it was a proud moment for me, though, when all was said and done 11 months later, like you said, when <laughs> when yeah. I finally got the trademark approved. And and it pays to be organized because I had to go back and take screenshots of websites in use from back in the like Like, it was hard. Like, I had to pull up legitimate documentation because I was doing it after the fact. So, yep. um, yeah, it, it pays to be organized. And to do it up front, um, for sure. Um, but talk to me a little bit about, uh, trademarks in terms of industry to industry. So, um, if you're a fitness coach, but somebody else is, uh, you know, you have the same name of somebody who, I don't even know, sells roofs. <laughs> I don't know why yeah. that name would be the same, but you know what I mean? Like industry yeah. to industry. How yeah, does have- that? Play. Yeah, you have Acme Acme Fitness and Acme Roofing. Yeah, those they're because they're so far apart, and the way the trademark stuff works is there's classifications that you have to pick which class do you want your mark to be in. You can do multiple classes, but you got to pick at least one. And as long as there's no other confusingly similar marks in that class, you're generally okay. 
sometimes there's some classes that are kind of close and kind of overlapping and you can have trouble, uh, you know, motor vehicles um, and power equipment. There can be some that can kind of be close, but you want to try to make sure no one is in your class. And usually step one with trademarking is you do a search. And so you would pay someone that knows their way around that to do a nuanced search to tell you, um, are there, is there anything confusingly similar? I mean, step one is just to exact match. Does someone have your trademark? And sometimes they do in, uh, in the exact class you want it and you gotta go back to the drawing board. But if they don't, then you can start spending a little money on now let's do that nuanced search and make sure there's nothing close. Uh, or at least if there is something close, you know, it up front so that, you know, there might be a chance that they deny the mark, but yeah, as long as you're in different categories of business, uh, you're generally okay. Like, uh, the, like you could, you could do Starbucks roofing. Uh, <laughs> you would have to, you could not use their trade dress. Like you couldn't try to play off of that. Cause if you try to, to pass off your brand as their brand, right. that's still trademark violations. And so you, you'd have to do it completely different. It could not look similar. Um, and so sometimes the brands can become so dominant that it can be really hard. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, why would you even go up against a brand like that? Because even when my, when my lawyer client got her cease and desist letter, you know who it came from? It came from, um, a Baldwin, <laughs> um, his, the uh, really? Hilaria or however you say her name, it was them because they owned a yoga studio in New York called Yoga Vida. Huh. And that was what, you know, and you know, they've got a legal team searching the internet for people, yep. <laughs> you know, be, like they do that. So, um, I don't know why you would even go up against, that would be crazy to be like, yeah, I want to be the yeah. Starbucks of and, the roofing industry, but any good marketer yeah. should like steer their client away from that decision early on. <laughs> yeah. The only reason to do it would be you're trying to play off the name and get, get right. business. So then you're in trouble. Right. Uh, if you get a mark, you do need to police it. So you need to be looking around occasionally to make sure there's not someone else uh, using your mark because if they are, you need to stop them because it dilutes your brand. So, and could, could cause you problems in the long run. So if you get the mark, make sure that you use it and make sure no one else is using it. Yeah. What, and then country to country, like you can, you're you're not you're trademarking nationally, yeah. right? You mentioned right. that before. And you can go international, and that's a totally different topic. But some things should. Um, now, I was, I was listening to one of your other episodes. Uh, I have to, forgot his name, but he does the uh, basically Uber for lawn lawn mowing. Oh and, yeah, yeah. Um, Green Pal, your Green Pal. Yeah, that could very easily go na- international. Uh, they have lawns everywhere. Uh, and so, you know, that would be one I would be like, I'd probably want to do some international trademarks on that Mm, Interesting, because it's software based, anything that's software based that can Uh, go everywhere. Then I'd be like, yeah, it's probably, let's get, let's tie it down here first. Once we get it here, then let's take those next steps and, and start making sure that we can go national if we want to, because it's really for the cost, it's pretty easy and you're not talking if we're talking about one main mark. You probably wouldn't spend more than ten thousand dollars to get it everywhere you wanted it. So that's a pretty minor investment if it's a if you've got a real business that's capitalized. I mean, that's one of the biggest problems I see in small businesses that everyone's undercapitalized. Um, but you can you, know, you can find a way to to come up with ten thousand dollars over the course of let's say a year, your first year, 
to nail down those marks if you need to. What about a company that has like a non-English name? <laughs> so uh, there's doesn't a matter. Company. Okay. Yeah, you can't. That's that's a because a trick people will try to do is we were saying Starbucks is to figure out how to say Starbucks in some right. weird language right. and think, well, I can do that and get away with it. And you can't do that either. It oh. can't be uh, if a marks taken in any language. You can't use it in another in that same category. Even if they don't have an international trademark on it. Well, no, you just can't do that. Okay. <laughs> if there's someone that has, yeah, if someone has your word in English and you got it in, Russian, uh, you can't do that. You'd have to find a different name. Interesting. Okay. Now that I'm trying to find a loophole, I'm just trying to understand it. No, <laughs> you should be trying to find loopholes. I mean, that's <laughs> that's the whole thing with business is you want to try to figure out how to do things that no one else has figured out. So it, in, loophole kind of has a negative connotation, but I mean, you're just trying to figure out what can I do within the rules to win. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. Um, I think you have... Seven is it seven strategies to safeguard your business? Was that something that yeah. I read? Yeah. Do yeah. you want to share those with us quickly? Yeah. The first one is to assemble a team of key advisors. Uh, every small business owner, uh, basically you're an island on, on yourself and it's really a bad place to be. So you need to have, you need to have a lawyer, you need to have a CPA, you need to have uh, an insurance broker that can recommend the right coverage to make sure that you can protect your business and your personal assets. And then you need to have a banker and not a bank. Everyone's got a bank. You need a banker that you can call and say, hey, I need to write a check today. And when you see it, there's not enough money in my account to cover it, but there will be tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And then say, no problem. I know you. I trust you. And you get that deal. Because sometimes it's that tight. Like you need to spend $1,000 today yeah. <laughs> to get this deal uh, to get 10000 and so you got to have that relationship. And so if you have those people, kind of your board of advisors, these people around you, it really helps you go further. And I would add to that that you should have a business coach, someone that's speaking into your business from a different perspective and giving you things to do and, and holding you accountable to those action steps. Otherwise, it's really hard. I mean, there's some really driven people, um, but it can be very hard to move your business forward without that. So that would be the first strategy. The second would be to build your business on a solid foundation. And this goes back to the LLC we talked about. You cannot run your business as a sole proprietor. Um, even if it's a side hustle, um, if it's more than if it's more than a hobby, if you're charging people money for something, you need to have an LLC so that your personal life and assets aren't somehow at risk to this business activity. And that LLC creates that separation. So you've got to at least have that and you really with most ongoing existing businesses need a lot more than that, but that's kind of step one for your foundation. Uh, another strategy would be that you need to document everything you do. We talked about contracts. So you need to have written agreements with people. Your proposals need to be in writing. You need to be able to, and you need to keep all that stuff. If you're an LLC, you need to, if you make, if you hold meetings, you need to have minutes of those meetings. You need to have an operating agreement for your LLC that shows how your LLC runs, how are profits distributed. If you ever get a judgment against your LLC, then the judgment creditor is going to look, want to look at how are profits distributed. And if you haven't got in there that you, that you're not required to distribute profits, you could re be required to give them money. Mm -hmm. So you want to document all this stuff and get this stuff done correctly. So that's, 
that's a that's two or three really quick. Uh, another one would be that we've talked about is uh, protect your brand, own it, right? And that's trademark. You've got if you have uh, audio or video, video stuff you're doing, copyright it. Uh, if you're doing graphic design, copyright it. Uh, make sure that if you're buying, if you're using other people's stuff, this is the next strategy. Get permission. So don't steal their stuff. Um, a lot of entrepreneurs, because of the internet, is it's just so easy. You'll grab images oh, and yes. use them on your website, for instance, uh, because it looks great and it's so easy and free. Uh, and then you'll get a cease and desist letter and a demand for several thousand dollars because someone took that picture and they own the copyright. And I know a guy. Let me let me interject. I know a guy who's like literally making a ton of money advising people on how to use like memes in their marketing and telling and I brought it up in his little pitch I'm like well you can't just google an image and it's like oh yeah he, he just totally brushed it off and I'm thinking oh my mm -hmm. gosh this is this is marketing 101 I I make sure when I'm designing a website or using social media images that we are not that we don't just google an image or if a client sends me an image and it's like I want this image and I say where did you get it oh I googled it and people still think that the just because you google like copyright or something like that. There's a, there's a, there's a thing in Google image that you can check so that you're supposed to only get royalty free images, right? But if you actually read the fine print, it still says it may be subject to copyright. It drives me crazy. Yep. And I, I teach an advertising course at a university and that's the first thing I'd nail into these kids too. I'm like, nope, get off Google. Do not find your images off Google. Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah. And, and you're, if, as the business owner, you're responsible if your web webmaster, web designer uses images that they don't right. own. Right. So you've got to be vigilant about that. So don't use other people's stuff. So that's that's uh, that's Ooh, a pretty I good ask rundown. You another question too. Yeah. So then you should, if you're going to be using um, written testimonials or images of people on your website that you've worked with or consulted, what there should be document like legal documentation in place to have their permission. For those yeah, testimonials? Video or? testimonials, for sure. I would, if you're going to use their name, image, and likeness, uh, I would get permission to do it. Um, if you're using written testimonials, it's a little different because they it's in writing. Um, they've, if they've done a Google review, for instance, then you're fine using that other places. Uh, but the best practice is always to get, to get their consent. And it's just so easy to do now. Yeah. Um, right. Have a very short um, consent document that gives you that right to do it. Um, and then even kind of a step further than that, if you're, if you have a team and you're using your team in your marketing pictures, which is a great idea, uh, you should do it, then make sure that they're signing something that gives you the right to use those images in, perpetu in perpetuity, like forever. Uh, I had a client just the other day that someone left their business, no longer employed there and was demanding that they take down all the take them out of all the videos and things that were all over the internet for the years they were there. Mm. Fortunately, we had a policy in place that they'd signed off on saying that they had permission to use all those forever. Yeah. So, Cause that's a huge expense too. redoing yeah. all your videos and oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah. But, so mm. those, those are the main strategies that if you'll do those things, you, you get closer to what we call here having a shatterproof business. Yeah. And the idea is that your business will bend and not break. Yeah. You know, our, cars have this glass uh, windshield and the windshield is made so that rocks can hit it and they don't come right through and hit you in the face. 
And so that's how you want to build your business so that you're driving down the the road of business. You're taking on problems. They're marking your windshield and you can pull over later and then have your team of advisors fix them. You don't want it to come through and be a catastrophe. And so if you follow these strategies and do some of the things we've been talking about today, then you're much closer. It's the, something that you're going to have problems. There's going to be legal issues. It's not really if it's when the mm-hmm. idea is how can we make them smaller and the consequences of them uh, almost meaningless. If we build the businesses in the right way, then they can't ever really get to any assets and you aren't, you can't be hurt. Right. Right. Okay. Final two questions before we wrap up. Was there ever a problem so big you couldn't, you couldn't solve, you couldn't save the client, couldn't, uh, get them out of the situation. You know, there's, there's been problems that were too big for me to solve for sure. Um, I mean, we're the, we're a small business lawyer and occasionally there'll be things that I will send on to someone else because that's, it's just more their cup of tea than mine. And I want to make sure we get the right person on it. Um, and there's definitely been cases, for instance, that I have lost. Um, the, the legal system is really weird. Uh, because we rely on 12 strangers, they say of our peers to decide <laughs> legal issues, um, crazy things can happen in courtrooms. And you're trying to convince 12 people of something. Sometimes you aren't able to, they don't see the world from yours, from the way you saw it. And sometimes you, so you can't win. Um, most of the time we've been able to, but occasionally there'll be something that someone's, uh, someone's gotten so messed up that there's really the only way out is to how do we settle this? Mm-hmm. Uh, I do see that quite a bit where like, okay, you've really messed this up. So now the, now this is damage control. There's no win here. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That happens quite a bit. Yeah. I think celebrities that happens to a lot, huh? <laughs> They're uh-huh. in constant yeah. damage control. And then in the and- V is for victory spirit. What's uh, what's been one of your biggest wins? Uh, I think the biggest win for me is the getting gaining control of my uh, my business with the subscription model. That's been the biggest win for me. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I love that. It's not something I definitely would have thought of. But like I said, I love that you saw the need for something like that and um, and made that come to fruition. That's really great. Um, so, Scott, where can people find you? You know, the, the one of the easy places is on, on Instagram at the Scott Reeb. And then we're going to set up a special uh, landing page for, for listeners of this show. Okay. It will be our website, reblaw, R-E-I-B-L-A-W.com forward slash V is for victory. And on that page, you can download uh, my ebook, Is Your Business Shatterproof? And there's going to be a link there where you can click and schedule a 20-minute session with me. And uh, we'll look at your business and see if there's anything that uh, – might be vulnerable and give you some value during that 20-minute call. Thank you for listening to my mom's podcast.